Welcome to the Ducks Unlimited podcast, the only podcast about all things waterfowl. From hunting insights to science-based discussions about ducks, geese, and issues affecting waterfowl and wetlands conservation in North America, we bring the resource to you. The DU Podcast with your host, Chris Jennings. Joining me today is owner and operator of Wild Rose Kennels, Mike Stewart. Mike, welcome back to the show. Great to be here, Chris. Thanks for having me. And I asked Mike to join me on the show today to talk about one thing that I really enjoy doing. I know, I know Mike does as well is traveling. Um, I enjoy traveling. I also enjoy traveling with my retriever. And I know that Mike, you know, throughout decades of, of training and, and owning Wild Rose has traveled all over the world pretty much and has some really great tips for you know people to get their dogs to and from places safely um, in a variety of different ways and a variety of tips and 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 Mike I kind of wanted you to uh, provide a quick little introduction we had talked offline about um, you travel around in your earth roamer and some people have you know RVs and uh, campers and trailers and stuff and you guys you know can travel around in a small little group but everyone has their dogs and there's different things that that you guys all do um, and kind of explain that process of, of how and why you're traveling um, so much with your retrievers. Well, I'd be glad to do that. It's one of my favorite things to do is travel by, with my dog, and we call them destination dogs or overlanding with gun dogs, uh, whatever tag you want to put on them. And I thought it's so important when I wrote my book uh, years ago, I did a chapter on the destination gun dog, on how to travel with your dog. And it's, it's become so popular, especially in the last few years, uh, I started in 2012. It was actually the Ducks Unlimited Convention in Nashville. I got really interested in going out to an RV place, and I got bought a truck camper while I was at the convention and loaded it on the back of the truck, and I started traveling to all my gun dog trips and my shows I was doing. It was just so convenient to have all my gear there and a trailer with the dogs in the back and the guns properly stored, and you don't have to unload to go into a hotel. And, you know, think about how the little sleep I would get worried about the dogs and the guns and the gear out on the trucks sitting in a parking lot. <laughs> that I was very relieved to have my own rig traveling across the country. And then that migrated into a bigger rig, which I have now. It's a 550 Ford, uh, self-contained, carries 90 gallons of diesel, 90 gallons of water, solar powered, and basically stay off, off grid for as long as 15 days. So it's basically a, a great hunting, mobile hunting. People say, what is that? I said, it's a mobile hunting lodge. It's got a four wheel drive. All the rigs I've had have had four wheel drive. It just makes a great way to travel around with your dogs. And by the way, the dogs absolutely love it. They got their own little spot too. Yeah. And that's, you know, that's one thing that, that I've, you know, kind of struggled with my dog. Now she's, she's much older. I mean, she doesn't really even do much anymore, but, uh, um, she, you know, we had to kind of introduce her to my RV. And, you know, introducing her to where she's going to lay and where she's going to sit. And it was an older dog. So it's a little bit of a more of a process, but, um, kind of, kind of explain how you transport your dogs. And then also, you know, I know you have trailers and things like that. And, and what are some of the best and safest ways to transport retrievers? Okay. We'll talk about those in sort of different dimensions. Let's start with the RV. My, in my case, I was, I was so into it that when I had the, the Earthformers custom built and they built it any way you want, it has no back seat. I built a dog platform with a gun slip underneath the dogs, and then you can slide two crates in or two dog beds in at night. They can sleep sleep right behind you. They can ride right behind you uh, with you're in the the pilot, the co-pilot on the front seats. Uh, it's, it's a walk through goes through the back. Uh, some people put the crates in the back. 
We have one of our clients has a big class A. They took the uh, kid, kid bunks and put crates on them. And they anchor them down and they glow the dogs in there. Some people use toy haulers, uh, gooseneck bumper hitch trailers is the toy that carries like motorcycles and four wheelers in the back. Well, they couldn't work the whole back into dog kennels. Have an indoor space full of air conditioning, heated. I mean, that's, that's luxury travel for any canine. So you can convert these things in so many ways to carry them. One of our, um, Guys down here that does a service dogs, he took a Mercedes Sprinter and put two crates in the back and a little bunk above it of them so he can sleep. And it's totally, I got solar panels on it to power all his resources when he stops. Nice little diesel engine that gets about 18 miles a gallon. Four-wheel drive can go anywhere. So, you know, that's one dimension. But what about the other guy that has the pickup? When I travel in my truck, the enemy there is cold and heat. Not so much cold, but it drives me crazy for summer travel when we have to pull down places in Colorado. Uh, one that we're struggling with right now is the DU uh, Expo event coming up in, in June. We're going to have eight to 10 dogs out there and temperatures in travel time will be, uh, during the day will be a hundred degrees. How do you travel with that heat? And do not, under any circumstances, leave a dog locked in a vehicle, even if you think I got the air conditioning engine running, what if a truck goes down? They don't last very long. It will, it will certainly kill your dog. Heat would build up so fast in auto. And I, I just got to throw a warning out for that. So you have to think about really the safety of the dog when you're traveling in a pickup or a van. It's best to put them inside a crate and be very mindful of the heat. Even with that, you kind of mentioned, kind of alluded to, you know, just your average retriever owner with a pickup truck. Um, you know, you've talked a lot about, you know, dogs injuring themselves, getting in and out of the back of a truck. So if you've got your dog in a crate in the back, what's your recommendation for getting him in and out? Are you picking that dog up every time? Most of the time. Uh, especially a younger dog and an older dog. I like Deke doesn't jump anymore. He used to jump in and out of the truck. But some of our trucks are so far off the ground now that when they bail out, there's a lot of impact in the joints when they're landing on asphalt. So you've got to be very careful that they make commercial ramps where they can go up and down. Uh, but a young puppy, less than 15 months of age, I do not like to see them jumping in and out of vehicles and much older dogs that don't like to see that either. So if you choose to do it when the dogs are younger, you have to be very careful of that because of the impact on those joints uh, can cause you some severe problems. You know, one thing that, that we've talked about a lot um, in past shows is feeding. Um, when you're on the road, you know, when you're traveling, I mean, even for humans, your feeding schedule gets jacked up. Next thing you know, you're stocked at McDonald's and you don't want to eat at McDonald's. Um, yeah. But for, you know, a dog, it can get that same way, you know, the hectics of travel. Um, what are you, how do you maintain that consistency with feeding and, and how do you do that when you're traveling with your dog? Well, that's a really good question because we have an entire process for that. About two weeks before we began our trips, we're going to start feeding on the exact schedule that I would be likely stopping in the evening because dogs are all about routine. I don't know about your dog, but D can tell time. I've never seen anything. He'll be traveling along and at two 30 when he normally eats, he likes to eat at three o'clock. Boop, there's the head pops up. He knows exactly what time it is. So if I'm going to stop at five, I've got to get him on a pre-schedule. I don't want him popping up at three o'clock riding down the road and we got two more hours of travel. Now he's back there staring at me in the rear view mirror. So I'm going to get them on a schedule. The second thing I'm going to do is start floating the food. Dogs don't take in enough water. 
And when they're traveling, sometimes they're stressed and they just don't drink enough water. So float the food, meaning you put a small amount of water in with the flu. Don't over flood the whole pan, but put enough water in it, especially when you're hunting. They just, we're going to really get the dog on the, the feeding schedule and a watering schedule with a routine. Karina makes a great product called Floraflora. Uh, you can see it on the website. It's a probiotic. If you'll, it's a, it's a, stabilizes the digestive system really well. If you'll start that about two weeks, sprinkling it on the feet, it's a little packet. And through the whole trip, use that. You really stabilize that dog's gut. That it helps a lot of regularity. So we're going to start with routine uh, on a schedule. And people want to know, uh, when should I stop? About the time you need to stop, three to four hours is about the time the average dog needs to get out and relieve themselves. Be careful where you stop. Roadside, the dog can dart out in an instant before you actually know what's going on. So be careful that you've got the dog. A lot of places don't even want to off lead. Have you ever accustomed to your dog, got your dog acclimated to relieving themselves on a lead? A lot of them won't do it. You got to practice that before you go. And another little tip, a lot of times when we travel across country, we'll put like an orange collar on the dog with their telephone number in case we're we're auto wreck. uh, At least people will know who to contact. Uh, if the dog got out accidentally, which has happened, the door came open, the dog got out, and you drove off from a, a service station, would someone know how to contact you? And there, people would know that that is a, is not a stray dog. It is somebody's dog. So that's a great, uh, a great precautionary tip to put in there. Now, here's a question for you. You know, I see a lot of people at, truck stops or at you know rest areas wherever they're stopping and they've got that bumper out and they're throwing things for the you know for the, obviously it's in a safer area there's not traffic or anything but do you recommend you know doing some training in between travel if if you have the opportunity absolutely i wouldn't use the truck stop there's lots of things that go on at truck stops including chicken bones that are thrown out uh diesel fuel on the ground antifreeze that dogs will lap up and it's it's deadly to a dog. There's too much stuff around there. I don't even like to use truck stops and places like that to air the dog. But traveling down the road, there's all kinds of nice places you can pull over to the side of the road and work your dog. And that's a really good thing if you're traveling back from a hunt. Say you're in the Delta and see a nice rice field out there. There's nothing, no problem. Pull over the side of the road, walk down the little side road, get them off the main highway, pitch you out a couple of bumpers out there. I have no real problem with that. Just You have to be careful about local traffic, and you have to be careful about garbage, if you will, left in the uh, surrounding areas. People, you know, dogs jump off into it and just make a mess. can be da- and even dangerous. Absolutely, yeah, you want to be careful. Like I said truck stops, but definitely avoid the truck stops. That was a bad idea. Well, one of the other things that we talk about with a lot of people is is the different gear that, you know, and, and you may keep it all consistent with the same things, um, but, you know, there's so tons of different products out there for different traveling assistance or whether it's different types of crates or anything like that. Is there anything you recommend for someone, like even if it's just a crate pad for a dog that's riding in the back of the truck in a crate, uh, are those some of the things that you recommend to people who are taking some longer trips? Yeah, I, I work it for my list of mistakes, okay? <laughs> Stuff I didn't do. Uh, one is a pad, you know, that's... The rough ride down the road, uh, we use, we use pads that insert even in our trailers to give some cushioning. I don't really like putting pads, uh, like foam or anything in there like that that can get soiled and wet, but a rubber type pad works well because, you know, they get mold and mildew and everything else in them. Second thing is take the dog's meds, take plenty of meds 
and take too much dog food. If you're going to be gone four days, take six days. You never know when you're going to break down in a truck. Truck's going to have a problem. You're going to get stuck in traffic or whatever it may be. You need to have enough food, way more food than you actually think you need to take with you. Because you don't really want to switch that dog food in the middle of a trip. And that can really destabilize the gut. Uh, next thing I want to do is take local water. I'll take a couple of jugs of my own water just so I don't switch the water. So they're used to my water. I don't want to use some well water at a campsite or something off the side of the road uh, at a truck stop or an RV, I mean, a roadside park. You never know where that water's coming from. Uh, it's got any contaminants in it or not. So I worry about that. We also want to make sure we have a fully stocked first aid kit. Your vet can help you with that. I have one for sale at uklabs.com, and you click on uh, Rider's Trading Company. have a basic little kit there that you can add some things with, but things like aspirin, Remedil, things to solve diarrhea, for instance, liquid Pepto-Bismol. The pill Pepto-Bismol, it's a little more convenient, but it's slow-acting. I use the liquid liquid Pepto-Bismol if we have a a little diarrhea, and I get that frequently when we start traveling dogs to get a little upset. When we get into crates, have a good crash-proof crate. Make sure you've got a cover. You never know when you get in bad weather. You think it's pretty hot. I don't need it, but the next thing you know, you're in a storm. I always anchor that crate, especially if it's in the back of the truck. Anchor it very, very securely in case you hit something. That crate does not become a flying object. And we all like to have our dogs riding behind us in the, the back seat. If you have an impact, head-on impact or a rear-end impact, that dog's become a, become, going to become a projectile. So you need to make sure that dog is anchored in something safe when you travel across country. There's a million different ways to travel, you know, on land, obviously, whether it's the RV or the truck or just the back of the truck, back of the pickup. But, you know, let's talk about air travel. You know, that's something that, you know, not a whole lot of people do, but I do know, I do know some guys that fly their dog around to hunt. Um, what are some recommendations you have for people who, who may call you and say, Hey, I'm going to go on a hunt in you know, Texas, I'm going to fly there. You know, I want to take my dog. What do I need to be aware of? Well, let's talk private and commercial. I would say more than likely commercial in this instance. Number one is you're going to have to have a health certificate. Most airlines are going to require a health certificate that is no more than five days old before you show up at the airline. You need a flight certified crate. A lot of the crates you're running around with that are very popular these days, they're not flight certified. So you have to check with the airline and make sure you have a flight certified crate. Most of the time they sell them, but they're rather expensive when you go to the airlines to do it. Pre-book your flight. Make sure that I really have to watch about now. There's so many connecting flights. When you're booking your flight, we'll look at the connections. How long are they going to be pulled off that plane? How many connections you have? The more connections, the more chances you're losing your dog. But generally, the major air carriers that I've worked with, are very, they're, they're more worried about losing a dog. They get worse publicity off losing a dog than they do losing you. So they, <laughs> they're, they're pretty meticulous about the dogs. I've only had a couple, of, and we import a lot of dogs from the UK. I've only had a, a couple of problems that the dogs got to the wrong location. Uh, sometimes they were coming to Memphis, they ended up in Philadelphia, but that's very, very rare. So generally they, they do, a, the air carriers do a good job. Uh, some of them even pick the dogs up from you at, at cargo, uh, not cargo, uh, at, at baggage, and they carry the dog all the way through for you. You don't generally ship the dog cargo if you're flying with them. 
you're going to ship them baggage. And you got to make sure your airline does that. So some of the airplanes that fly now don't have that much baggage to pull. So some of the, you, you may not be able to get some of the destinations you want to go to, uh, such as in Canada and some of the smaller airports out west. They just don't have the, the capacity to carry, uh, the, the dogs in, in cargo. You have to, you have to pre-book those things. Now, yeah, and you want to be careful flying in somewhere that's really cold too. I mean, I know I've had conversations about this with people. Um, you know, flying into Canada, you know, you you have to be careful about you know where that dog is going to be at on the plane when it's loaded on the plane uh, because it can get absolutely very uh, two ways to look at it. The heat will get you. That happened to me in the south one time. I was out on the job uh, on a show and it, it was too hot to fly. But eighty five degrees, they won't let your dog on the plane. It also happened on DUTV wait, a long time ago. Uh, we flew to Canada with Drake, the, for, the former Ducks Unlimited mascot. And it was a nice going up there, coming back. It was too cold. And I had to call a client to come get him. And I, they said, you'll lose your ticket. We won't refund your ticket. You got to go, but the dog can't go. So what do you do then? Luckily, I had a client look close by. I said, come get the dog. We booked him later and sent him back. So you better have a backup plan if you're flying in the wintertime or summertime with the dog. I've heard of people trying to get like any calming things that people would give their dog, you know, something to get the dog kind of calmed down as it's in transit during the flight. Do you use any of that or do you recommend anything like that? No, and if you tell the airlines you did, they won't fly. That's right. That's what I was going to say. I wanted you to say that, but I, I wasn't quite sure. But, you know, I've heard of people talking about doing that, and I know it's probably a t- not a very good idea. And well, the idea that, that I would do is I wouldn't feed the dog that morning of the flight. You know, have him going in. I'd feed him the night before. I would have a bag of food taped at the top of the crate and a bottle of water in case they, get, they do have a layover, get stranded, the aircraft won't go. They have some food for the dog. They have some water for the dog. I would have that taped on top with feeding instructions. I would have, of course, my telephone number would be there, you know, call for this. And I would even have my vet's telephone number on that on the outside of that crate in case of emergency call this vet. Uh, I would have things like that. I would never fly a dog that was not microchipped. So you identify your dog. How do you know it's your dog? If they get the dog separated, so that's my dog, you will prove it. Well, your microchip will prove it. And sometimes the dogs that take them out of the crates, kennel them overnight, like especially if you're flying on a longer flights, and then put them back in the crate. What if they switch them? And you left with the lab and you got a mile log when you open the gate the next morning. <laughs> that That has actually happened to me. Coming from England, they switched the dogs in the crate. And when I got them, I didn't know them. We had the wrong dog for a while. We actually figured it out. So I got two black males. They were not, I bought the dogs. They were shipped in, but they were taken out, overnighted, and put back in the crate, but they switched them. Bimbo wasn't bimbo. <laughs> so yeah. That, that can actually happen. So all that stuff, all these little things you need to think about is what ifs. Uh, telephone numbers, extra food, extra water, uh, medica- uh, instructions for medication to, can be taped on the outside of your crate. Flying private, a lot of my clients do that. And we, there's a lot of destinations you can book small planes and fly to, which is very handy. And people worry about the dogs being afraid. I've, I've never seen the one bird dog in my time that was afraid to fly. Once you get them acclimated on the plane, off and on, getting off and on the plane to get them on there, the floors are heated on small planes. They lay down and go to sleep on the planes. Or just put them in a crate in the back, just like a small crate, slide them in. They're fine. 
Don't worry about it. I, I personally don't hang out with a lot of people that fly around on private planes, but those sound, it sounds like I, I can imagine most dogs are probably not too concerned, just like most people would probably be, um, you know, a, a pretty easy transition into, uh, you know, a small private plane like that. The private planes that you run into now are some of the destinations that you go to. Like if you're in Alaska, you're going to have to put them on a float plane, like, a, like an otter or something like that to fly to the, to, to the lodge. But when we fly our group to the Bahamas, we fly them on uh, ospreys and small, very loud prop planes. You know, it's only an hour flight out of the United States into the Bahamas for fly fishing, but we take the dogs with us. So you, you may not own your own airstream or uh, Gulf stream, but, but you may get into a situation where you go to a destination and they have to fly you to the next step. So we, we try to get our dogs acclimated to a, a flight. For, in our adventure dog workshops, we have somebody come in on an airplane and take them up, fly them around, land again, just like touching goats. Yeah, it's all just introdu- introductions, you know. It's all just like introduction to a duck boat would probably be very similar to introducing to, um, you know, a small plane like that. So it's all about that process. Now, can you think of anything else, um, you know, that, that people who are traveling, you know, and may just be traveling from the duck blind back home, um, that people should remember um, when they are traveling with their retriever? You need to think about if you're traveling, let's say, from a duck blind and you're taking them back home, putting them in a crate or in the summertime, you're taking them from the dove field. Again, I'm going to go back, back to the, the two extremes, the heat, heat exhaustion early in the early season teal, upland in North Dakota. Uh, dove fields is very, very dangerous, far more than cold, hypothermia or cold. You've got to really watch the heat. So you got a dog that's sort of overheated and you throw him in the truck, put him in the back of the truck, you, he could well die. You've got to really keep that temperature lower on those dogs. And then in the cold, when they come back out of the duck line, snatch that water vest off them, dry them off really good, and put them in a really good insulated crate. The crate covers are what's insulated, but to keep them dry. I've seen people going down the road from the duck line and the crate wide open, and it just bothers me a lot of how cold that dog is in the dock. Oh yeah, I mean that can that can cause some some pretty severe damage to joints and things like that when you get that cold too, can it? Exactly. And you know, the bottom line is traveling with the dog, the destination dog, the overland experience with the dog is all about routine. Get the dog on a schedule. Dogs are creatures of habit. You get them on a schedule and just do the common sense protections, such as first aid kits, insulation for your crates, keeping them uh, keeping the weather in mind. You'll be fine. Awesome. Well, these have been some great tips, Mike. I appreciate you joining me. And uh, as always, we're gonna we're gonna get you back on as soon as we can. Great. Enjoyed it. I'd like to thank my guest, Mike Stewart, the owner and operator of Wild Rose Kennels, for joining me today and talking about traveling with your retriever. I'd like to thank Clay Baird, our producer, for doing a great job of getting the podcast out to you. And I'd like to thank you, the listener, for joining us on the DU podcast and supporting Wellens Conservation. Thank you for listening to this episode of the DU Podcast. Be sure to rate, review, and subscribe to the show and visit www.ducks.org slash DU Podcast for resources based on today's topics, as well as access to more episodes. Opinions expressed by guests do not necessarily reflect those of Ducks Unlimited. Until next time, stay tuned to the Ducks.